Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion podcast exploring the most critical challenges for venture-backed tech entrepreneurs along the startup, grow-up, and scale-up journey. Every two weeks, we speak to founders, experts, and venture capitalists from around the world about their experiences. And we're back. But pardon the interruption. I always wanted to say this, you know, sorry for interrupting the program. So we, we, we stopped in the middle of the next 10 years, not in the middle, actually, we released five episodes out of the 15, because obviously there's something that everybody knows. We're all working from home. How are you working from home? Yeah, like everybody, you know, humans are incredibly adaptable. And many are quite resilient as well. And, and it's extraordinary how, how well people have adapted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working from home. I'm, I'm in the office at the end of the garden. I've got the dog asleep by my feet. I got up super early this morning, went out for a bike ride at a, a crazy o'clock. So, I, you know, there's aspects of this that, that um, are, you know, beneficial. But yeah, it's been a strange time, hasn't it? Yeah. And I was reading an article the other day by someone I admire, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Oh, yeah. Who describes himself as a flaneur, by the way. I don't know if you've ever come across that word. It's a kind of yeah. an intellectual who learns Wonders, yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And he said it's a very interesting thing, which is very few of us can imagine how different our tomorrows will be. We, we always think they'll be the same as today. Yeah. And actually, when we look back over history, we know that um, our tomorrows are always different from the yesterdays. But what's happened here has just accelerated that transformation, hasn't it? I mean, it's- yeah, actually, I'm a, I'm a, I've read all his books. And he's probably the reason that I, I didn't foresee, nobody could foresee exactly what was happening but probably because I travel a lot. Early February, it was like something is going to go down very badly. And that's thanks to Taleb because, of course, of his very famous books, including The Black Swan, though this is not a black swan because it was predictable that at some point we would have to. <laughs> yeah, that's right? what he said. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is not a black swan. I think what is interesting is his book, Anti-Fragile. Oh, yeah, I love that and one. I, and I think it's the best one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start yep. rereading that again today because what this crisis has done is expose fragility in so many different aspects. Yeah, supply chains and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so we stopped, as you guys could have realized, we were releasing stuff that we had recorded late last year in a totally different setting about the hopes for the next 10 years. And then, of course, we decided it was probably not good to continue, hence the pause. Sorry, everyone. So what are we going to do now, Stephen? Well, as well as having recorded 15 episodes with founders talking about their ambitions for this new decade, put on ice for the time being, we'd also recorded eight episodes of the Pain of Scale Mm -hmm. podcast series. So this would be then series four. And it's a shorter series that we're going to release today, which is just eight episodes as opposed to typically 10 or or 11. Some of them were recorded well before the COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. way, way, way. (laughs) Others kind of in the run-up. We recorded the first episode with Tehi Nam back in September. September. Yeah, that's the one you guys are going to listen to today. So that was really totally different. Yeah, Yeah, but it's still highly relevant. And and that's what's quite interesting. And then the last episode we recorded, which won't be the last one we release in this series with with Marty Kagan. Marty's an extraordinary guy and he he traveled the world teaching product strategy and product management. When we spoke to him, he was stranded in a hotel room in Sydney. Sydney. (laughs) And we had little idea then the scale of change we would see. 
And so we decided to launch these episodes over two per week, I think, over the next yep. four weeks. Much faster uh, than usual, yeah, because the content is still, for all of them, very relevant. There's obviously stuff that would have been said differently or the questions we might have asked would have been different where we now, but we believe, and I guess you guys will agree, that the content is still highly relevant. Actually, today's episode with Tahi is super relevant, uh, I believe. Almost everything he said could have been the exact same thing were it to be recorded today. Yeah, there would just have been a different context. Correct. So we've got some amazing episodes. We've got Tahi, who's the managing director of Storm Ventures, talking about the whole startup journey. We've got Matt Weller, the co-founder and CEO of Muse, talking about leadership, the importance of, as a leader, staying uncomfortable. Well, shit, he's been uncomfortable (laughs) over the last couple of months because Muse is a hotel property manager. Hospitality, yeah, that's the, wow, yeah. So um, actually, in the new series we're going to launch in a few weeks' time, which we're calling Reimaginings, Mm -hmm. Reimagining the Startup Journey, we're going to be talking to his co-founder, Richard Alter. Third episode with Yvonne Yvonne, Yvonne is amazing. I mean, oh, she's yeah. the chief people officer of Go Cardless. She was the VP of International People Operations at Google for like 13 years. And then she moved to booking, which is we're talking about travel. That, that must be yeah, awesome. Yeah, which is so that was <laughs> that would have been a question we could have asked her about travel. But yeah, that's a very good episode. Fascinating. The next episode is with Melissa DiDonato. Melissa is the CEO of Suze. Mm-hmm. She was formerly a COO at SAP. Uh, senior vice president at Salesforce, extraordinary woman, and, and also an executive in residence for Notion. And she's talking about building the layers of sales capability across the startup evolution. So I think that will be great. Then we've got Peter Zotto. I mean, Peter, fascinating conversation it, talking yeah. about pricing strategies. Peter is one of the co-founders of ProfitWell. Then we've got a recording with Marty Kagan of Silicon Valley Product Group. He needs no interrupt- introduction, introduction <laughs> if I could say the word. Then interesting ones with Pavla Munzarova. Pavla is yeah. the uh, finance director of Muse, talking about capital efficiency, unit economics, SaaS metrics. And then we had a great interview with Jennifer Johnson, an entrepreneur in residence for Play Bigger, one of the leading thinkers on a whole concept of category design. It's still highly relevant, you know, even more so today that people in any company think about the problem they solve and who they solve it for. And Jennifer articulates that, that story incredibly well. So it's a great series and I'm delighted that we can push them out in rapid order. And since you mentioned it, actually, what comes right after is that reimagining series, which is a one-off series that will be very relevant to today's situation. Can you just give us two words about it? Yeah, so I am fascinated by the resilience of founders. They're unique people, incredibly resilient. They're incredibly resourceful. And the response that we've seen from our founders you know, rapidly coming to terms with the crisis and the implications for their business and going into rescue mode. A huge amount of work to kind of secure the future of their businesses. They quickly moved into kind of rebounding. This is the the new normal. Don't we hate that phrase? We need a better (laughs) phrase than that. And rethinking how do they work with their employees? How do they work with customers? How do they think about products? And then the interesting thing that we're then seeing reimagining Going back to what we're saying about Nassim Nicholas Taleb, our tomorrows are not going to look like today. They are going to be different. And so every entrepreneur and founder worked to really reimagine 
their business and their journey. So I'm super excited. Yeah, same. So today I'm about to play the press button for the first episode, Leadership by Tahi. Everything he said is still relevant. He told a really interesting story. His name, he's from Korea. And uh, do you remember him saying that when he was named, Tahi was a boy's name and it's now a girl's name. So (laughs) it was a really nice kind of opening. But what's interesting about um, Tahi and and Stormbench is he kind of describes the critical importance of SaaS companies finding their own unique growth formula. And he ties everything back to surfing. The difference between paddling to catch the wave (laughs) and and then surfing when you're riding the wave it's all about growth efficiency. You know, mm-hmm. paddling is really low growth, low efficiency. <laughs> you, you'll have done it, I'm sure. Whereas surfing is super high efficiency. And I like that kind of simple framework. So yeah, it's a great episode. We never know tomorrow. His name was a boy's name, became a girl's name, and you never know when and how the next wave will come. So here we go. Let's listen to that episode. And hi, Stephen, we are back. This is Series 4. Can you believe it? I was just thinking that. I can't quite believe we've come so far. It's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to this new series as well. Yes, and as in every series, because now you listeners know that we do that every single time, we have this foundational episode to launch the new series. So who do we have today to talk us through this? I think of this as the, like, the scene setter for the whole yeah. journey. And today I'm delighted that we're going to be talking to Tehi Nam. Uh, Tehi is the managing director and co-founder of Storm Ventures. And I was introduced to Storm Ventures by a good friend, Jaco van der Kooi. Oh, and, of course, Jaco. Um, Storm Ventures are, are, you know, one of the US leading SaaS investors. But what I really like about these guys is that not only are they really operationally minded and very founder-centric, of course, as well, but they've also been doing some great investments on both sides of the Atlantic. You know, some companies such as well, Marketo, who um, Tehi was one of the, the lead investors with, Companies like Salesloft and EchoSign, three great examples of SaaS companies from the US, but they've also invested in Algolia, Digital Shadows, Pipedrive, and, uh, and TalkDesk. So really straddling the, the Atlantic. And um, Tay is obviously the founding member of Storm, but he's also the co-author of, um, of a book called Survival to Thrival. And this is a book that is close to my heart because it's really kind of talking about what we've been talking about on this series, which is dedicated to helping SaaS founders through the company building journey. So, Tehi, welcome to the um, to the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity to participate. So, tell me, let's cut straight to the chest. What, what inspired you to become an author and put pen to paper? Well, you know, frankly, if I had known that uh, it would take over four years, I don't think I would have started uh, this journey of writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel uh, your pain. <laughs> yeah, especially since I don't consider myself a natural writer. But uh, the inspiration was simple. We really wanted to help new entrepreneurs, uh, just as so many prior entrepreneurs have helped uh, Bob Tinker, my co-author, and myself. So we started down this path, and then the project grew. You know, we didn't want this to be solely a story about Bob and myself. So we interviewed like 20 other people and added their stories. And then we wanted the book to be practical. So we would test it with our portfolio companies and would get scathing feedback and we would go through up future iterations. 
So ultimately, it took over four years and over 60 versions. A bit like um, building a startup. Uh, harder, it turns out. <laughs> is that right? Your name is right there in the book. Yes. Yeah. But you, you say in the book that building enterprise startups, and, and I guess with SaaS, which is kind of where we talk about, is different from kind of run-of-the-mill maybe technology businesses. But what do you mean by that? Right. We were actually trying to compare that to like B2C companies or other types. And what we mean is that enterprise startups all have a a B2B buyer. So someone that makes a considered purchase. And uh, what we find is that uh, these enterprise startups all follow a five-step journey. You know, it's just like raising a child. There's a five-step journey where you start with founding the company then finding product market fit where you have some happy customers, and then finding go-to-market fit, which unlocks growth, and then accelerating to category leader because we're now in a winner-take-all world, and then how to transcend your category to become an industry leader of, let's say, several categories. You make it sound so easy. Let's just kind of dig into a couple of those points First off, you talk about you know founding the company and then finding product market fit, and you know there's a lot written about both of those topics. But the the one that really kind of stuck out for me was finding go to market fit, because people don't talk about that as much. So what is it? Why is it so important? And more importantly, how do you do it? Right. So we coined go to market fit as basically finding the growth formula. It's the formula for unlocking growth and. The reason why we thought this name and identifying this was so important is, is that we had so many companies that find product market fit and then try to accelerate or to scale and then they struggle. And so what we find is, is that just because you have product market fit and happy customers doesn't mean that you found the growth formula. Many startups fail the, the transition from just having happy customers to finding how to get like a thousand more like them. And so we see that there's this critical interim step between product market fit and scaling. And we call that go-to-market fit or finding the growth formula. And then in terms of how to find this growth formula or how to find go-to-market fit, you know, the, the metaphor we found that works really well is surfing, is how do you go from paddling to surfing? Because when you're paddling, you know, it's a very painful exercise where you're burning a huge amount of energy to go a relatively short distance. Whereas when you're surfing, you burn relatively little energy and you can go pretty far. So the analogy there is for a startup is, is that you measure growth efficiency, which is growth rate divided by cash burn. And so when you're paddling, you have low growth efficiency. And when you're surfing, you have high growth efficiency. And so how do you go from paddling to surfing? And uh, one of my colleagues here at Storm, Ryan Floyd, is a surfer. I'm actually scared of the water, so I don't go in very often. But uh, Ryan told me to surf you had to go do three things. You have to catch the wave, ride the wave, and then have the right surfboard. And so it turns out the same three-step process we see apply to B2B startups as they're trying to find go-to-market fit. I love that from paddling to surfing analogy. And I can attest to the, the surfboards in your office and Ryan's keenness on, um, on that pastime. But I'd really like to take you back to this kind of growth formula and the missing link as you described it. 
could you break that down a little bit for us and just give us a few more examples of, of exactly how people find that formula? So it really goes, as I said, going back to these sort of three steps. The first is catch the wave, ride the wave, and ride surfboard. So catching the wave, the way you catch a wave for a go-to-market startup is to find the urgent pain. So in other words, when you're trying to surf, catch the wave is you read the wave and there's a spot within the wave that you need to enter. And in the same way, the wave is like going to mobile enterprise or becoming a data company or, you know, there's these big waves that are emerging that as a startup, you need to ride to become a unicorn or a category leader. However, you have to find the portion of the wave, which we call the urgent pain. And you know you have the urgent pain if you can answer the question, why buy now? Not three months from now, not six months from now, not 12 months from now, but why buy now? So what you want is you want to identify the portion of the wave, which is the urgent pain. So they start buying your product today and then being able to ride the rest of the wave, which makes you strategic to the customer. So by doing that, what you can do is you can catch the wave and that's an important element to getting a lot of leads. Then the next thing after you catch the wave is you have to ride the wave. And the key to riding the wave for a B2B startup is coming up with a repeatable go-to-market playbook. And this playbook is not for the CEO, not for the VP of sales, but it's for the newest sales or marketing employee so that they know exactly what they need to do in order to repeat and thus scale the go-to-market process. And the key element of this uh, go-to-market playbook turns out is identifying what we call the wow. The wow is not something that the board thinks is great or the, the CEO thinks is great, but the wow is something that you show as part of the process which drives the customer to a certain action. What I mean by that is when you do the first demo, you show something and the customer goes, wow, I really want to show it to my colleague. That sets up your second meeting. Or you show something and the customer says, you know, I really want to try it. That begins your trial. So identifying those sort of specific things which trigger customer to take action is that wow. In Mobile Iron's case, the wow was the ability to do selective wipe. What that means is that when, uh, in, this is in the early days of the smartphone, when uh, employees were leaving the company, IT wanted the simple ability to wipe corporate data and leave all the person's personal stuff there, photos and all that. So Mobile Iron being able to demo selective wipe was something which really impressed the IT people because they were doing it manually. And then they would bring in their colleague and say, hey, look at this, it's really cool. And that was the initial wow. So really identifying the wow is the key to coming up with this repeatable playbook. And then finally, the third part about picking the right surfboard is all about personalizing the go-to-market model to make it work for you. So you have different models, like whether it's sales-led, marketing-led, or product-led. And what I'm finding is, is that the best companies personalize the go-to-market model to make it work best. And they go through a discovery process, 
where in the beginning, you know, you're doing a lot of steps manually. So it's very sales intensive. And then you start adding marketing where basically I view marketing as automating sales and then also try to introduce the product even earlier in the go-to-market process, which the reason like free trials or freemium. And then with that, figuring out at the end, what's your optimal mix of salespeople to make this work. And so what you have is a very personalized go-to-market model, which then becomes a competitive weapon since you know you have something that's sort of optimized for that market. So going back, you know, this idea of sort of how you go from paddling to surfing is about catching the wave. And that really is you have to know what the urgent pain is. Then the second about riding the wave is really you have to know what your wow is. And then your third about personalizing your go-to-market model is making sure that uh, you know, you're automating the marketing and product functions accordingly. So taking you back to the, the five steps you talk to kind of building a, building a business, uh-huh. founding the company, finding product market fit, finding go-to-market fit, accelerating to category, and I think transcending your industry, I think was the yes. last. Yes. You use a really interesting phrase in the, in the book, which is the idea of unlearning. So yes. unlearning what has worked in the past for your company in order to continue to thrive. Again, why is this so important? And then how do you recommend founders do this? Yes. So unlearning is really related to the dark side of growth. What I mean by that is, is that, you know, we were talking about finding go-to-market fit and, you know, every startup goes through this intense exercise of trying to figure out the growth formula to unlock growth. And then let's say you find it and you're starting the growth formula, and the company is accelerating. And then there's the other side, which is, why is growth so hard on the people? Why does growth result in founders not succeeding at the next level or executives? And uh, this results in VCs getting a bad name because you know we end up having to change people. And so why is growth so hard on people? The reason is, is that Growth causes the job to change. So if you're a VP of sales with one rep, that's very different than a VP of sales with 50 reps, which is also very different if you're a VP of sales with 1,000 reps. So growth causes these jobs to change, even though the title and responsibilities are the same. And so how do people change? And there it seems that what we see is that the key to change is to unlearn. And I'll go back to the example of VP of sales. So at the beginning of the company, before you find go-to-market fit, and let's say a VP of sales with one rep, the ideal profile of a VP of sales is a pioneer type, someone who can find the path through the woods, you know, a person that can succeed without a map without all the provisioning. So it's like without a sales material, you know, all the marketing collateral, without a a go-to-market playbook, they find that path through the woods. As soon as you find that path, you want a warrior leader, someone like, you know, Mel Gibson and Braveheart, who hires other warriors and is very good at uh, competing against the enemy. So you want a VP of sales then who can unlearn being a pioneer which tends to be more individualistic, creative, and become a warrior leader. And so that's where you unlearn being a pioneer 
and have to learn being a warrior. At the same time, when a company gets to be like 100 reps, you want a completely different type of VP of sales. Someone who's good now at managing a lot of warrior leaders. And a good example is Dwight Eisenhower in World War II, where he commanded the Allied Army on the Western Front. But the knock on Eisenhower was he never fought in battle. You know, he was never a warrior. And so executive, the VP of sales has to unlearn becoming a warrior leader and becoming more of a go-to-market architect. Do you see many people that can pull that off individually or is this talking about more of a collective challenge? It's hard. I mean, this is why growth is so hard on the people. But at the same time, you know, people transcending to the next level is a, a huge mass accomplishment and a huge benefit for the company. And so what we did is, is that we interviewed people in terms of sales, Mark Smith, who was a VP of sales at Arista, Rubrik, and Infoblocks, where he said he failed the first time and how he succeeded the second and third. He said that the reason why it was so hard for him the first time to unlearn being a warrior is, is that uh, unlearning requires to overcome insecurity because you're giving up what you're really good at, like being a great warrior and doing something else. And so whenever you stop doing something you're really good at, you become insecure. And so you had to overcome insecurity to unlearn and transcend to the next level. We see it in our portfolio companies, you know, people often can't grow as fast as the company. I wonder, you know, how much harder is it for the CEO than perhaps for the VP of sales to be five different people in the lifetime of a business? It's harder for the CEO because uh, the CEO has less people, in a sense, to go and consult. The VP of sales has the CEO and has other execs as peers. But uh, the CEO, if they talk about a lot of these kind of struggles with their executive team, usually the executives leave. And then if they talk about it too much with the board, the board usually then uh, replaces the CEO. So it turns out that for the CEO, this is a very lonely journey. And so part of what we're trying to do with the book is by explaining it is for people to know, especially founder CEOs, that the problems that they're going through is not unusual. It's typical and they're really not alone. So you clearly took a lot from writing this book, but what kind of surprised you the most about the journey that you went on? My biggest surprise is that how long it took for my co-author and I to reconcile our views. You know, Bob Tinker and I, we worked together on two startups very closely over 15 years. But as we were writing the book, at the beginning, we would have dueling chapters. You know, it felt like uh, even though we worked together for 15 years, we were like watching two different movies. And it turned out that uh, it's because we were, you know, working on these startups from two perspectives. He's the founder CEO of Mobile Iron. I'm the VC board member, chairman of the board of Mobile Iron. And so our perspectives of the two movies were different. And that reconciliation took longer. From Bob's perspective as CEO, you know, going back to the surfing metaphor, he's like the surfer. And his number one goal is just don't wipe out. You know, he just wants to keep surfing. And in my case, as the VC, I'm not a surfer in the water, but I'm like a helicopter 50 feet above the water. So I'm not wet. I'm not worried about wiping out, but 
but I'm watching like 15, 20 surfers and sort of saying, this is where we see the wave coming and, and so forth. So reconciling these two perspectives took a few years. And you're still friends? Uh, we're good friends, yeah. <laughs> but even now when we do presentations, you know, we, we have uh, variances. <laughs> Tehi, thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation and uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book and kind of digging into it and thinking about the questions I wanted to ask. If people do want to find more, learn more, then you can go to survivaltothrival.com or you can find the book via um, Storm Ventures website as well. Tehi, if any startup founders out there are looking to get in touch with you, what's the best route for them? LinkedIn is uh, the best way here. Pretty much everybody tracks us down on, on LinkedIn. Tehi, thank you again very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Remember, you can find an in-depth write-up of this interview, along with the dozens and dozens we've done on the Notion website at notion.vc under resources. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify and Google Podcast. Thank you.